Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board-certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Samira Arman, also known as the PD Pals, as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at the PD Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of The Well Child. Hi, Anna. Hi, this Sammy. Is a special episode. It's just you and I again this time. No guests. We've been meaning to record this episode forever, and we finally got our ducks in a row. So here we are. I don't want to delay any further because we're also going to put this on YouTube. So not going to go with too much of an intro today. Eczema. Let's talk about eczema. We get asked about eczema so many times. It is such a frustrating problem. Uh, There are statistics about eczema that go beyond what you would ever imagine. Um, 18 million Americans suffer from eczema, more than half of which are children. There are some statistics that even say 10% um, of people will suffer from eczema. So that's even more than 18 million. And it's a very common condition. More than half the people who have eczema will say that they're super frustrated with the disease and that more than two thirds will say that it actually interferes with their activities of daily living. Mm-hmm. And so naturally as two pediatricians, we get asked about eczema all the time. Mm-hmm. And we see eczema, we treat it. It is frustrating for us too as pediatricians, but we are here because parents want to know what to do. So let's talk about it. Yes. And just us being on social media for the last few months, we have just been flooded with eczema questions. And we can we can give them little tips and tidbits, uh, you know, here and there, but we really can't talk about the whole problem as a whole. And as me and you both notice and we struggle in the office, we have limited time and we're like, we have so much to cover with eczema, you know? And so this is our time to do it. But, but like you said, that's the one big statistic that I always see, you know, one in 10 children. And so it is way more common. And a lot of parents that come to us, they think that their child is the only one with this horrible eczema, you know, because it is a big problem. And like many other conditions that are chronic, this is this requires a lot of maintenance. It's a chronic condition. So ultimately, it's it's something that requires our attention daily. And so there are things we can do to minimize that. And we'll talk about all of that. So let's just get started, like you said. So when people come into your office and they say, my baby has this rash, you know, and um, I think it's eczema. I don't know what it is. Um, how do you how do you go about describing to them? Like, yes, this is eczema. What is it? Right. So wonderful question. So first of all, um, we should probably talk about a little bit what eczema really is. Um, and one thing about eczema is that it's the reason it's so prevalent and we see it so often is because it actually can affect anywhere on the skin and it can develop at any time in someone's life. Now we, again, as pediatricians, we see it most commonly in babies where you'll see it on their face, neck, scalp, elbows, knees. Oftentimes it gets misdiagnosed as baby acne at first or a heat rash. And then we see that it doesn't go away like baby acne or a heat rash should. And so what you typically would see with eczema is you'd see dry, scaly skin, redness, 
little bit of swelling, some places where it's thickened, sometimes the, the pigment of the skin is darker or lighter than the rest of the body. And it's very, very, very itchy. And they'll also see some red rough bumps as well. And sometimes they'll scratch so much that you'll even have like crust and fluid leaking out of those areas. That's eczema in a nutshell. That's what it looks like. And the way I like to describe eczema, I'm going to oversimplify it tremendously when I describe it this way. But the way I like to describe it is that it's just ridiculously dry skin. The the skin has multiple layers and the skin, the epidermis, that's the first line of defense between the body and the environment. And it keeps things like irritants, allergens, and like uh, microbes and, and like, a, you know, bacteria and all that from entering the body and prevents us from losing excess water. Well, in eczema, this is impaired. Mm-hmm. Basically, they have an impaired skin um, barrier. And so they lose a lot of water from their skin, which is going to be one of the reasons it's so important for people to understand, because it's going to be one of the things we talk about, about how to treat the eczema. Yes. So, and anything different? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. One thing that I do stress is that in children from different ethnicities, different colors, different skin types, they can present eczema a little differently. So sometimes it doesn't always look exactly the same in one child than the other, but you hit kind of all the points where sometimes it's bumpy and it looks like red bumps. Sometimes it's scaly and it's dry. Sometimes it's red, sometimes it's dark or light. So like you said, it can be one, it can be a multiple combination of all of those. And it can look differently based on the color, based on the texture and the quality of the skin. We're also variable, you know, and our skin is, is like our, one of our biggest lines of defense, right? It covers the most surface area in any other organ in our body. And so the other thing, like you mentioned about the actual uh, skin quality, and there's this protein, if we're going to get really technical, (laughs) you know, they talk about this, this filigree protein, which is what causes that, which creates that outer layer of the skin, which protects it. So kids with eczema lack that protein, and they lack that ability to hold the moisture into their skin. And so then it flares up. So a lot of parents will come in and say, my baby's skin is really sensitive. You know, you know, they, they, we touched, uh, we tried this new lotion or we tried this new shampoo and it, their skin flared up, you know? And so a lot of times that's a hallmark. Their skin is extra sensitive. Now there's lots and lots of causes and we'll talk about, you know, what can flare up eczema, but I describe it to parents as it could be something that's that, that they're inheriting from their genes and a combination of their environment too. So that's this this whole thing that we talk about, you know, um, uh, where did it come from? You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? What caused it to kind of flare up? And like you said, it can show up in any time in their life. So something in the environment could have triggered it. Um, So a lot of times you'll see parents, they said, yeah, you know, me and my husband have eczema. So they kind of expect it in their children. So sometimes it can run in families, but sometimes it could be a brand new thing too. So exactly. Yeah. And that's so important because people often say, well, what causes it? And the truth is, this is one of the frustrating things. We don't really know what causes eczema. Uh, We know that it is a type of allergy. We call it atopy. 
um, in medical jargon, we know that like, if you have two sets of twins, um, they're 80%. If one has it, the other one's 80% likely to get it too. So there's something genetic. It does run in families. You may have had the gene passed for you, but what really causes that gene to be activated? We're still working on it. You know, as a, as a medical community, no one knows, but also know that like in the whole realm of allergy, that kids who have eczema are more likely to have seasonal allergies. They're more 50% more, 50% of them will have asthma. So they're more likely to even have asthma. And so we know those things, but we don't really know, you know, why it happens to certain people and not to others. We've started to link it more with things like dairy and some kids and some food triggers and things like that. But that's all still heavy, heavy research areas. Um, I mean, I think the the statistic is like a crazy amount of money is being spent on eczema, right? And yeah, um, yeah. per year in terms of like research and a medication and whatnot. Yeah. So um, one of the ways that I like to just kind of explain eczema to, to families. And again, you know, if there's a doctor listening to this, they're going to be like, cause this is just so non-medical, but I feel like it's a kind of a good analogy that, you know, we are all born with skin who that has a lot of water in it. And so I'll say like someone who doesn't have eczema, imagine they're being born and they're holding a bucket of water and the water is full. Mm-hmm. That's what a normal non-eczema like skin looks looks like, but imagine a baby that does have eczema or a child that develops eczema. Well, they're born with an empty bucket of water. And the good news is we can fill the bucket of water up or you can, so you can either do it one drop at a time, or you could just really, really, really go crazy and just take a like fire hose and fill up the water. Um, you, it's up to you how quickly you want to do it. But if you do, you will eventually get to a point where that water is full and you have less flare ups. Um, so the water for eczema, we'll get to exactly how to treat it, but was there anything else that you could think of with the whole like causing and what it is and whatnot? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the water bucket analogy is great, but the other thing I would add to that is it's something that we have to continuously fill our bucket to. Yeah. And so this, you know, they, for whatever reason, the kids that have eczema or the people that have eczema they, you can almost think of it like they have a little filter at the end of the bucket. And so they lose that water quickly, you know, Um, but you're right. Part of it is the amount of moisture, the amount of water that the skin is lacking that we have to replenish. And then the other part I look at it is something external that causes it to flare up or to irritate, you know? And so I kind of look at it as twofold, you know, something externally that's causing it to flare up and then something internally that we're lacking, which is the protein and the water that we're going to have to replenish ourselves and do the work, you know, just work a little harder uh, to do it. Yes. And every child's triggers that what's causing them to flare up is going to be different, which is why eczema is so frustrating and why there isn't a one size fits all or a cure all for everyone. We do know that there are things that work for most children with eczema. And we'll talk about those in just a quick minute, but, but sometimes someone's trigger is not some others. Sometimes some children, some foods will kind of flare up their eczema, but, but enough, we actually don't recommend taking those foods out cold Turkey. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other kids that it'll be trees or pollen that'll flare up their eczema or some that'll be some types of products that they're applying on their skin. So everyone's triggers are a little bit different, which is why it's so hard to treat. Right. Right. And a lot of the other kind of common misnomer that sometimes people ask me if when they have these rashes, is it contagious? But we do know that it's not contagious. It is an inherent part of their skin that's causing the rash. So it's not something you can pass on. Now, if that part of the skin gets infected, then that has the potential to be contagious. But eczema in itself is not contagious. Um, So that's one thing. And then before we talk about the causes, I would just let you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit the locations, the locations are important because that helps you recognize it too. So like you said, in babies, we first most often see it on the face, on the cheeks, the scalp, right? Sometimes the neck, some babies have it all over, you know, but those are some of the initial things we see. And then in the older cases, uh, older kids, I kind of describe it as areas where you're not having a lot of fat, So you have less moisture there. So like in the creases of the elbows, on the wrists, um, you know, underarms, under behind the knees. And sometimes it can be on the chest, abdomen, arms and legs too. uh, But it's commonly flared up in those areas because that's where the joints are. Uh, There's less moisture in those areas too. Yes. And to add to that though, we also see eczema of the eyelids very frustrating and difficult to treat. We see lip eczema. We see eczema sometimes look like ringworm. So they're very like circles all over the body. And it's often misdiagnosed as ringworm, but it's not ringworm. We even see exactly it's called numular eczema. And then we also see the diaper rash from hell that won't go away. Mm-hmm. Also, sometimes also eczema. eczema, not always, but yeah. So these are the things, you know, the eczema is one of those, those illnesses that those chronic conditions, I shouldn't say illness, those chronic conditions that's just variable from person to person looks in a, a variety of different ways can affect a variety of different body parts and can present at any age. So how challenging is that? <laughs> so pretty much anything at any, any time. <laughs> any rash, eczema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's always good if you have a stubborn rash and it's not going away and it's flaring up, you know, number one, talk to your doctor about it. Try to avoid Googling because when you Google rashes, you know what happens. You get overwhelmed, your blood pressure goes up and it helps no one. So sure. just avoid it. Right. (laughs) Sorry, I I digress there. But okay, so how can we talk about triggers for eczema? So, um, you know, what are some of the things that you see that you warn your, your families about that, you know, their child has eczema? what should they avoid? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things that that play into that. But just as a general rule of thumb, I always start off with saying, you've got to make sure that you are using eczema friendly products. That's the that's the most important thing. Um, And, you know, there are different different things that are eczema friendly, for sure, different types. But just as a general rule, like, I'll usually say Dove, Cetaphil, CeraVe, Aveeno. Those are your standard eczema-friendly products. So make sure that you're using that for soap, shampoo, conditioner. Make sure all of your detergents are free and clear of dyes. Um, 
and of sense. So um, draft, for example, is not eczema friendly. A lot of people don't know that. Make sure your fabric softeners say free on it and are free and clear. Your moisturizers should be eczema friendly. Your sunscreen, your diaper rash cream. So all of those, that's the first step, right? Like just kind of make sure you're buying the right stuff at the supermarket. Right. So hypoallergenic, not the stuff that smells good or is fragrant. Um, We get a lot of questions about this. And a lot of families will say, well, you know, Avino didn't work for me. It flared it up or Dove. So so it's not one size fits all. And sometimes there's a trial and error that you have to do and you have to try. But the key is it should be hypoallergenic. It should be scent and chemical free. Even when you're looking at wiping down surfaces right now, we're using a lot of cleaners. We're using a lot of things to wipe down surfaces. You do the best you can to keep things clean and, uh, you know, away from germs. Uh, but you also have to be careful because all of these things that have chemicals in it can flare up the skin, right? So right. products, things that they put on their body, that's number one, all hyperallergenic, Right. The other thing that I tell them is about bath time. Um, And, you know, a a lot of times I kind of describe it as, you know, when you're in the pool for a long time or you're in the shower, your fingers become prunes, right? And what's happening there is all the moisture is being sucked out um, of those little fingers. And so that's kind of what happens when you're soaking in water. You would think that you would absorb that water, but actually the moisture, the water from your skin leaves your body because it's been sitting in water. And so it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you're staying in water for a long time, it sucks out more moisture. So we recommend quick, short baths. And then right when you get out of the bath, you want to pat dry and you want to put moisturizer on immediately since you're trying to lock in any moisture that's left, right? You're trying to keep it in. Exactly. Yeah. So important, right? So it's, it's really important to not over dry your skin because the main key with eczema is maintaining your skin hydration. That's the overall take home message for this YouTube episode for the podcast, maintaining skin hydration. And we say a minimum of three times a day and definitely immediately after bathing and hand washing. And it should be with thick creams that or ointments with actually um, low water content because they better protect the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that are greasy like petroleum yeah. jelly. Yeah. So um, lotions we know are less effective. So that's the other thing we say that. So if you've got, you've got a child with eczema, we said you got to pick eczema friendly products and then you have to moisturize the heck out of it um, at least three times a day. And then you also have to make sure that you are minimizing the, the triggers and the exacerbating yes, factors. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that oily, it's kind of like, you know, that your barrier is weak, right? You know, that things irritate that barrier more because it's lacking that protein. It's lacking that moisture. So it's, it's a little bit weaker. So when you put those oily products on there, now you're making that barrier a little stronger and you're capturing the moisture in. So that's exactly right. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. So moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. 100%. Yeah. We love Aquaphor. 
We love, love, love Aquaphor. We love Vaseline. Um, they don't have things in it. And, and like you were saying, if you're going to use the Avino or Dove or those products, you want to use ointments. You know, when you're trying to find things instead of creams, ointments are more oil-based. So they capture and moisture better too. Yeah. And funnily enough, they also do recommend trying to avoid triggering factors such as heat. Um, that to me is really hard to avoid. So I never say that um, to my patients because I feel like kids who have eczema just still have to have a normal childhood. We don't want to like avoid living. Um, and so I don't really tend to say that, but I, I did want to mention that in case anyone had heard it before. And always we have to make sure kids who have eczema are more likely to get skin infections. So if things are really out of control, you really need to see your pediatrician because they might have a a, um, staph infection or sometimes we see herpes. So those are really important too, um, to treat. And those would be treated differently. Another big thing is the role of, of itching when it comes to eczema. Can you tell um, everyone about that? Yeah. So eczema is interesting in the way that, you know, because your skin lacks that moisture, your skin gets really, really itchy. And we'll see a lot of babies sometimes that don't even have the rash or the flare up yet, but you see the scratch marks, you know, sometimes you'll see scratch marks on babies or they're, they're just scratching. And so inherently they um, are itchy because of that lack of moisture. And so what happens is when you are scratching and that barrier and the proteins are not there, you're scratching, you can actually cause the flare up to spread more. And so a big part of treating eczema is not just the ointments and the prescription creams, but it's controlling the itch, right? So sometimes in the kids that are, you know, a little bit older, I mean, kids under two, you want to talk to your doctor about using Benadryl, older than two, you can use Benadryl, but there's other antihistamines like Benadryl that we can use to help control the itching. But then also when you treat the eczema, the itching improves on its own, but that's one factor that can make it worse, you know? Absolutely. So like, so, so yeah, so it's so hard as a parent, right? I just want to acknowledge that because anyone who's ever had a mosquito bite or, you know, anything knows that not itching is so difficult. And then eczema is probably one of the most itchy conditions known to (laughs) humans. And, and then we're asking someone so little and innocent who has no idea not to scratch. I mean, it's virtually impossible. And guess what? Even if you're super diligent about not letting them scratch, like some of my patients are so dedicated. They'll put the little mitts on and don't let them scratch. Well, at night they go crazy. They're in their sleep and they go nuts. So talking to your pediatrician about how to minimize that itch factor so that they don't continue to flare up so that they're not scratching their skin off and making it bleed and then making it be infected Infected, is huge. Yeah. 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 Because even with things like insect bites or any time you break the barrier of that skin, you know, you have bacteria that lives everywhere under your fingernails on all surfaces. So that barrier for eczema kids is already a little weaker. And now you scratching it, you're causing the, you know, the potential for those bacteria, those fungal infections, those viral infections to get into the barrier, you know, cross the barrier. And so that's why we worry because when those infections set in, then sometimes they can be difficult. So it's better to prevent them by layering them up, oiling them up, if you will, yeah. and controlling their itch, right? 
Yeah. And something else, like I just want to mention, you know, we talked about the products too, and I'm kind of going a little all over the place, but I just wanted to make sure that like people knew when we say eczema friendly products, we mean everything. So like, don't be putting bubble bath in your kid's bath. Don't put a bath bomb in there. Those kinds of things can and will flare up your child's eczema. So just be super careful about that too. Yeah. And just other things like sunscreen, you mentioned it, that's really important. Sometimes we don't think about those products. Um, Even, you know, certain types of bug sprays, other chemical products, it can be really difficult. And I know that they're going to, like you said, they, they have to live to a certain extent, but at least if you know that this could be a potential, you know, reason for flare up, you kind of you know, you take it a little differently, like for example, swimming. Now in swimming, there's chlorine, it can flare up a lot of kids' eczema. It can, they're also sitting in the pool, so that can flare it up. So for example, when they come out of the pool, you rinse them down really quickly, you know, you change their clothes um, and you put the moisturizer on. So you're kind of wiping off all the chemicals. So you're trying to minimize it because yes, they're gonna do activities that kids do, but we might just have to take some extra steps, right? For eczema. Right, right. And then I also wanted to touch real quick upon um, coconut oil and olive oil and and other natural types of oils, because a lot of the times we get asked about this and, and I'm not inherently opposed to someone trying to use natural remedies for eczema. I will tell you, there's just not enough evidence to back up its use. Unfortunately, with most natural things, there is, this sounds terrible when you say it, but there's not much funding behind doing a study for just a natural cause, like a natural remedy. And so usually we just don't have the studies to back it up. And we do know olive oil tends to make you more prone to things like fungal skin infections. So I do let my, my patients know, and my patient's parents know not to just stay away from olive oil. They're, you know, they're a kid. They're not a chicken. Um, (laughs) we're not cooking them for dinner. Um, but coconut oil, I know a lot of cultures really do like coconut oil, especially for skin. And I never be the one to get in the way of something like that, but I would always say like, you have to proceed at your own risk. Even all coconut oils are not made the same. Yeah. And then some kids are allergic to coconut. So what if that's one of their triggers and then you're yeah. lathering them up in coconut, whereas you really can't be allergic to Vaseline and aquaphor. Right. So, um, yeah. to me, if it was my child, you know, knowing the safety and that, and that it's been so well studied with aquaphor and Vaseline, I would just lean towards those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what we t- tell our patients, you know, that, we sometimes cannot give our, you know, okay, or backing because of the lack of studies that doesn't necessarily mean because you know, there's other cultures that have been using certain home remedies for, for eons, you know, and and they've been doing it. But if we're looking at the the backing, and, and that's what these studies do, they're, they're trying to see how much of this causes side effect, what is the potential risk? And so for everything that we're doing, we're trying to minimize the risk, you know? And, and, and so I totally agree. Vaseline and Aquaphor, we know is not causing harm, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then another question I get asked a lot is, will they outgrow it? And the, the truth is that that is a really good question. We can only estimate, you know, these things, there's not clear data on it, but my personal experience and what 
the preliminary and, and kind of guesstimating data does say is that about two thirds of kids do. And I like to really tell people that because I know that it gets really frustrating. Yeah. That typically the, some of the studies I've seen through the American Academy of Pediatrics, they usually say that by four or five, uh, a lot of kids tend to improve in their eczema. So it might take a different shape or form as they get older, they might still be sensitive to certain things. They might still have dry, dry areas that require moisturizing, but, but by and large, there is hope, uh, you know, just like childhood asthma, you know, we, a lot of people will ask us, will they get better? Well, you know, kids, their lungs are small and as they grow, they, they naturally have more space. And as your child grows, their skin barrier evolves, their immune system gets better. So a lot of these immune uh, mediated uh, conditions, they do improve over time. But you know, a lot of factors can go into that, you know, a good diet, building your immune system, all of those things can help. But yeah, I've seen that most kids tend to do better, even though I see like a bunch of teenagers that had eczema, they tend to flare up when they're teenagers, because they just stop using moisturizer. (laughs) Yeah. And they get a little, yeah, a little more brave with stuff, but I'm really glad you said the immune thing because we do know eczema has to do with a dysregulated immune system. And now we're learning so much uncovering this big world of the gut microbiome and the immune system and knowing that kids are born with eczema and where does this start? Does it start perinatally? You know, what's going on? I think there's going to be so much, so many advancements in the medical field with regards to just our immune systems. Yeah. And there are so many hypotheses right now. I find it super fascinating. Yeah. Uh, another one of the big things though, uh, because I know it is, it's really controversial in general is, you know, those, those allergens and food, because we get asked a lot of times, can we do allergy testing? What's your stance on that? So uh, a lot of times it's difficult. So typically blood allergy testing in children is not always very accurate. And even skin testing is not very accurate. So sometimes they could have a severe allergy and we do the testing and it doesn't necessarily reflect that. So we, we do refer kids. So if they have severe eczema, if they have a family history of peanut allergy and multiple food allergies, you know, I will send children to the allergist so that they can get um, guidance, uh, you know, as they grow and how to introduce foods and how to introduce allergens, because some of those kids require a little bit more attention. Uh, but by and large, um, sometimes the allergy testing is, isn't as great. So, uh, so typically I can refer them sometimes as early as six months, even younger, if it's really severe. Um, but a lot of a lot of the normal kids, a lot of the kids that don't have severe cases or a large family history, if we start with things like early introduction to different foods, if we start with good moisturization, if we start with, um, you know, focusing on their immune system and minimizing process things, I feel like we can set them up for success early. I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, I agree because overall, there's just not enough evidence that anything dietary, any intervention that you could make is going to be helpful in reducing that severity or preventing flare-ups in kids with eczema. And what, what's interesting is that because eczema is an immune system issue, and because we know that 
eczema has to do with what we call atopy, which is which is a allergy type of condition. Um, most of these children will have skin positive skin tests when they're doing allergy testing. Yeah. Now, yeah. severe eczema, remember eczema can also be, we didn't really mention this, but it can also be classified like mild, moderate, severe, severe eczema or moderate even should be done in, you know, with your, it should be managed with your doctor. And then your doctor may also get the help of a dermatologist or an allergist. So sometimes it takes multiple medical professionals to be addressing the issue, but, um, those kids who have really bad eczema, their skin tests will actually show positive for a lot of foods. And then what do you do? You know, you have a child that's eating all these foods and then their positive skin test. And, you know, we don't even have good data that says if you restrict their food tremendously, is it even going to be helpful for them? So at the end of the day, we don't recommend it because we also are not sure that if you were to take away that, Mm -hmm. that food a hundred percent and then reintroduce it later, what would the result really be? I would be concerned that they would have a more severe result um, later on. So, so the only thing that I say it's okay um, to cut out is dairy, like cow's milk. And the only reason is because typically a cow's milk protein allergy is a different type of allergy than all other food allergies. And so I, I allow my families, my patients, parents, and my patients to do a trial of no cow's milk to see if it helps their eczema, but that's about all I do. Yeah. Yeah. Trying a hypoallergenic formula or something like that to see if it will help. But I just want to stress this point that you just made because it's so important. Um, You know, there's a lot of studies that need to still be done. There's a lot that we need to unearth, but just a simple example, like for example, if you take uh, egg allergy, um, you know, we've seen some of our patients that might, if they eat eggs straight, they might have, you know, hives or swelling or lip swelling if they have an allergic reaction. Sometimes the allergist would say, well, we don't, they can't have egg in that form, but how about if we bake it in? So if we have egg cooked in a different form, so you're still exposing them to the protein, uh, maybe not in that form. So just because they have an allergy doesn't mean that the allergist will cut it out completely like you, like you illustrated, because what's going to happen in the future when they have egg again, accidentally in the future, and they haven't had it for all these years, will they have a really, really severe reaction? We don't know. And so this is where the dilemma comes, you know, too, but I I definitely think that, um, uh, you know, milk, yes, I agree that one, and and maybe in a few years, they're going to, it's going to change, you know, a little bit on that. So we have to, we have to take each child individually too, and look at kind of the whole picture. Absolutely. And so just to recap real quick for those who are joining in now, or for those who just kind of skipped through the beginning so far, the the take-home message has been, if your child has eczema, they have a good chance of outgrowing it, that their skin needs hydration multiple times a day. The more you do it, the, the better. What did our old mentor used to tell us? Yeah. Moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. She used to say, look at your hands. <laughs> she would she would call out the parents. I love this because I was the medical student. We would watch her and <laughs> she would be like, it doesn't matter to me what the child's skin looks like. I want to see your hands. They better be oiled and greased up because you are getting tired of putting moisturizer on all day. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love like her tough love. Now. 
Yeah. <laughs> the only way to know if you're putting enough is if your hands are greasy and oily. Yeah. Exactly. That's what she would say. Show me your hands. She would say. <laughs> yeah. So multiple times a day and make sure you're using eczema friendly products and make sure that you're using an antihistamine or something in conjunction in discussion with your doctor to help to prevent them from scratching. And then you have to have a specific bath routine. That's not going to make them more prone to dry and breakouts. And then you've done all that stuff and it still hasn't helped. The next step is to start looking at treatment options. And at that point, we start getting into a little bit of the nitty gritty as pediatricians. And typically we do recommend that you, you talk to your pediatrician when you're getting to this this stage, but our treatment options for eczema, we have a lot, um, but we start with steroids mm-hmm. and topical steroids, I should say. And then what, what we end up typically doing is that we start, we have like a, a list of 40 to 50 steroids that we can pick from. And we start really, really mild. And um, we call those very low potency steroids. We're like a group you know, we group them in one through seven. And these are the sevens. They're like, even though you would think the one is below one in the way that they classified this the seven <laughs> is below one, but things like hydrocortisone, the steroids that most people recognize that are over the counter, those are the low potency. And then you start getting to talking to your pediatrician or your dermatologist, and they'll give you a little bit higher potency. These are more prescription strength ones. They have oils. We have so many options, creams, lotions, gels, oils, all of these, all the way until super high potency type of steroids. And when those don't work, we have other types of products that we can use. Um, There's some new ones that have recently come up. Um, So we come up basically Uh, your pediatrician comes up with like a plan for you. When you have a mild flare up, use this. When you have a moderate one, use this. This is what you use for itching. And kind of like if your child has asthma, how they have an asthma action plan, your pediatrician, dermatologist, allergy doctor will give you a plan of what to do when things are really out of hand, if you're not able to manage it on your own. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, no, that's perfect. The one thing that because, you know, asthma and eczema are chronic conditions, and a lot of times, parents, once they have had a plan from their doctor, tend to take things on in in their own hands a lot of times, right? So the one thing that I would caution parents about is a lot of times these topical steroids, whichever potency you use, whichever ones you start off with or end up with, the bottom line is they are medication, right? They are supposed to help with the flare up. So when the skin is red and itchy and flared up and the moisturizers aren't working. So now we're using a medication to treat that flare up. So we're reducing that inflammation, right? A lot of what I see in my patients is they'll have these creams on hand and they'll use it almost every day, or they'll use it all the time, you know, and it's okay to use these for flare ups, but just know that they are medications, they're not without risk. So anytime you use a steroid on your skin, you can thin the lining of the skin, you can minimize the bear, you can, you know, make the barrier a little bit less effective if you use it long term, over and over again, daily, something like that, you know, so when your doctor is telling you, 
you know, I'd like you to use this hydrocortisone twice a day for a week or two. Once the flare up calms down, go back to your moisturizer. That's why it's so important to talk to your doctor because yes, these medicines work, but they're not all without risk. And so you want to keep in communication with them, just like you do with your asthma, because they can discolor the skin. They, they you know, they're medication like anything else. So it's a fine balance of not letting your eczema go out of hand versus not letting the side effects from the medicines like any medicine we use, right? Exactly. And I really want to emphasize that last point you made. The the pigment of the skin can change. Eczema itself can change skin pigmentation. And the steroids that we have to apply occasionally can do that as well. So a lot of times kids with eczema look blotchy. They don't have one one consistent skin tone and it's very disconcerting to parents and families. And I, I mean, I totally, I, I totally get that. Yeah. The only way to fix it is to continue moisturizing. That's the yeah. only tool we have. So you yeah. still, even when you have a flare up, you need to consistently be doing your multiple times of moisturizing. And then I wanted to quickly, I don't want to go into too much detail about this because I don't recommend it for those who have mild eczema, which is the majority of cases, but you can also do something called a wet wrap. Um, to avoid going to the doctor. If you were like pretty well-versed in eczema and you've been dealing with it with your kids for a while, this is a way to kind of help calm down a flare-up. Basically, if you have a steroid that your doctor's prescribed to you, you can apply the steroid and then you would actually top it with a layer of Vaseline or Aquaphor. And then you would do, um, you take like a pair of long sleeved pajamas and you'd run it with warm water, wring out the water and then put those damp pajamas on the child and then cover them with a dry layer of clothing. I know it's kind of crazy, but you would want to leave it on for like one to two hours. And it really will help that water in the first layer of pajamas will help lock in moisture. And then um, after, of course, you remove the wet pajamas, guess what you got to do again, moisturize one more time. Um, I won't go into too much detail about that because usually I really like to talk about that in person with someone and really walk them through it. But if anyone is interested, I'm sure you could Google wet wrap for eczema and come up with like a good way to, um, to do that for your children. And it's a relatively harmless thing to do. Yeah. A lot of dermatologists will outline this for you. You know, they'll yeah. kind of write it. And I usually write it out for my parent uh, patients as well on the step-by-step, but yeah, for the severe cases, um, I think it, it, sometimes it really does make a difference, but you're right. Most of the kids, they have mild flare-ups. You can control it. You just have to stay diligent on the moisturizing. Yeah. And a couple other things, just fun facts, I guess, um, or not so fun facts. So kids with eczema, because that skin is compromised, that barrier that we talked about is compromised in general, anytime they get any type of rash that somebody without eczema would get, it is totally exaggerated. So kids with eczema tend to get crazy reactions to bug bites, or if they get something like hand, foot, mouth, it looks terrible. That's normal. That's part of the eczema. If they get molluscum or warts, it's going to always be worse because their skin is not acting like an appropriate barrier. 
So that's a one, one thing that just to keep in mind. And then the other thing too, is that always make sure if you have a child with eczema that they have really short fingernails. Cause again, back to the whole, don't scratch it type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And the main things that you would definitely need to see your doctor about if you start to see drainage, yes. uh, yellow crusting, uh, you know, uh, like basically mm-hmm. leaking from the oozing from the skin. If you see little, little, small, little fluid filled, we call vesicles, any kind of uh, overlying rash that you see on top of the, the skin that's dry or bumpy, you know, definitely talk to your doctor because usually it requires more than just your eczema creams that they usually will prescribe you. Right. Yeah. I hope we answered the majority of it. I feel like we've been talking about it for quite some time and we've gone over a few times, like what really it involves to take care of your child's eczema. As always though, I would say in general, and you kind of touched on it too, make sure your kids are eating well, sleeping well, make sure that they're going outside every day, make sure that they're having a generally healthy life. They're not going too crazy with the sugar. Um, And those things will always help any kind of chronic condition and will keep your kids safe. And I also like to recommend because there have been studies with asthma and vitamin D, I like to recommend, especially if they're closer, like up North for kids who have any type of ATP. So even eczema to be on a multivitamin just for that vitamin D factor. Yeah. Yeah. Vitamin D is important. The other thing that I always, you know, it's kind of this switched my thinking, even though I went to school and we did all of this studying, you know, but after a while, you know, you don't really think about your gut as an outside part of you, but technically it's one long tube that goes through you. Right. And so it's actually synonymous, even though it's inside of you, it's actually synonymous to being outside of you, right? So just like your skin, um, you know, that's why I stress to people to think about their diet really carefully, because we're all in a busy lifestyle, we're all doing the best we can. And these, you know, all of these luxuries that we have and fast food options that we have, they're making our life easier, but they're also taking a toll on our gut. And we'll talk about this probably on and on again in future podcasts, but I like to just point it out because it's an interesting way to think about it. We think about our skin as our external, but our gut is also in a way external to us. And just like our gut has a barrier when we're taking in food, it's filtering things out. Our skin is doing the same externally. We just don't see it on the inside. So that's why I think I like to stress so much about the foods that we're, that we're eating and you just do the best you can and just be conscious about it. Um, because all of that is affecting your immune system at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. Well, I think that sums up eczema pretty well. There might be a part two on this. I think for YouTube, we'll have to split it in a couple of videos, part one, part two, part three. But uh, for the podcast, it'll certainly do. And uh, I'm sure we will get more questions coming up on social media about eczema. So we'll, we'll definitely expand on it if the need arises. But now we can officially tell people, please check our podcast episode <laughs> for all your eczema needs. Thanks, yes. Anna. You even taught me stuff. So this was wonderful. Same as always. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company.
Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any fact.